So uh, basically, the fact that I now have terrible um, anger and anxiety and depression is due entirely to you. <laughs> so what should we talk about? <laughs> it, I, let's be clear uh, from the outset that, first of all, there are no guests involved. This is just you and me who have been doing this show now today for five years. This is our five-year anniversary. Is it really today? Is today the day? It is. That's why I wanted to reach out to you today. And it's so interesting that we're, we're this, it's really like, uh, it's, it's quite a reach back to the past because we're using this blue snowball microphone, which oh, we've on had your end, since yeah. the beginning. Yeah, on your end. Yeah. And, um, and after five years of doing this, how long have we been at this now trying to get it to work on your end, Joe? Oh, 45 minutes, 40 <laughs> minutes. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's a testament to how, how, um, like, <laughs> wonderful things, wonderful things are, are always new and different. Um, but terrible things are always the same awful thing. And, and you, you really are a testament to that. That's a, boy, that's a, that's a, con, that's a, a modification of the old um, unhappy and happy families quote. Yes, I was riffing on Tolstoy just yes. there. And to be clear, I did none of this to you. We were just simply trying to get it to work. And for whatever reason, Skype was not cooperating on your end. Right. Well, it, you know, I think listeners of the show, longtime listeners will be happy that we have not started with the health corner. But it's kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire because out of health corner, we're not talking about that, but we're into like technology corner. Yeah. Tech problems. Maybe I should ship that whole, I, all the recording I have of us trying to troubleshoot. Yeah. I do have a sore knee if you want to talk about that. No, but. no, not at all, really. No. <laughs> Okay. Well, you had a long drive. So so we should say part of what's going on here, Joe, is that you are like a remote guest now because you were up in um, the mid-Atlantic uh, for the holidays. This is true. And so I, I'm calling out to you like a guest. You're not in front of me. I can't see your reactions, and I'm sure that, that gives you more liberty to express your, uh, your face, how you truly feel in the course of this conversation. Yes. And um, my, my scowl yeah. is now so intense that my eyebrows are actually beneath my chin. <laughs> you, <laughs> um, well, longtime listeners also know that that uh, that you, what you are a kind person, Joe. You're a very kind person, mm. and, and you have a lot of compassion. And I would they say they know it from listening to the show. I guess I, well, I, I would think they would. That you are empathetic. You you hear what people mean. You try to seek out meaning in what they say, and don't get caught up in technicalities of what they say. You know, you're just a you're a good listener. However, I would say patience with certain kinds of things is not a virtue of yours. <laughs> I looked away from the mic so I could laugh there. <laughs> with certain kinds of things, uh, right. you are. I mean, you do knit though, right? I mean, as as listeners I know, do, which, yeah, which is a patience yeah. requiring. Uh, a patience required activity, right? Yes, you uh, because um, you're doing. It's interesting because there's a there's a certain repetitiveness to knitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, knitting is actually not that complicated because there aren't that many different motions that that you can make. Um, although there are many different sequences of motions that can, in total, create wonderful things. But the basic elements or fundamentals of of knitting. Uh, motion out of which knitting is constructed is, are few in number. Um, the other great thing about knitting is you sort of got weapons right there at the ready if needed. 
Yeah. And the needles can, can be stabbing devices as well. Well, there are relatively few settings on the Skype audio video settings. So you would think that there being few in number, it would be a similar kind of, of thing. And unfortunately, though, we did not get a wool sweater out of today's shenanigans. <laughs> yes. If only it were so. I cannot say enough bad things about Skype. <laughs> <laughs> but it has ably like there's the number of atoms in us. the universe yeah there's, there's a number of atoms in the universe and then there are the number of bad things i want to say about skype <laughs> yeah well well i think the the latter is definitely less than the former i think just as a matter of logic but that said um it has ably served us for five years now today 2013 we shipped uh the episode zero who is your hero I think it's mm. called Who Is Your Hero? We, we, I, I, I did not listen to it in advance of today's conversation, Joe. Okay. Uh, so, so I don't recall exactly what was said, what we thought, but I think we recorded it in, um, I think actually my mom's kitchen. I, I no, re- it was in, wasn't it in your dining room? No, I think, I think either that or her living room. I, I think we did record it in my mom's room for some reason. I don't know why. Okay, wow. So we went to the low... I guess it was to get away from noise, we went to the lower floor. Yes, I think that's right. That's right. That's wow. before, of course, we, the, the uh, steel and glass of uh, Oral Argument World Headquarters was, um, <laughs> you know, um, over right. the years, all, all, the, all the sponsor money, all the, all the merch money, um, the, 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 the deals, all the side deals we've taken to speak well of various people and to slam other people. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really shaped up here. Um, in, it's a veritable in, Saddam's palace, you know. Oh boy! <laughs> uh, in the time that we've been just spouting nonsense here, trying—I think what we're doing here is we're revving the engine to recover from forty-five minutes of remote tech support. Yeah, we're um, blowing off the rust here. In, in the time that we've done this, Joe, I think Brian Fry has already recorded three episodes, so we got to get At on least. with it. This is Ipsy Dixon, yes. right? Which is an a good show. Yeah, Any, anybody who listens to the show released. should listen to that show. And if you're thinking to yourselves, oh my God, the last time this show came out was like three weeks ago, and now they don't have a guest. We're going to talk about a few things today. But um, uh, if you're just itching for a pure discussion of legal scholarship, go listen to his show. Um, I'm not saying don't listen to ours, but like, you know, he will fill the void. Um, because, you know, as we said at the beginning of this semester, Joe, we, we, we consciously decided to go to a once every other week for the duration of this semester. And and sometimes that slipped to once every three weeks, but generally we've hit that. But over the course of the run of the show, uh, we've generally shipped about three episodes every month, three episodes every four weeks. So it's, you know, kind of biweekly plus or weekly-ish. Um, and I, so I don't know what the new year is going to bring. We might move back toward mm. that three out of four. We'll probably have, you know, we've got, you've already, I know you already have a guest lined up for us, Joe, in you know, early January. I have one already scheduled. I have others that I'm in conversation with. Mm-hmm. So, and and there was, uh, I think there were there was one maybe two that we that had kind of schedules went haywire and and uh, this month and and last month. So we we've tried to put you know we've pieced it together as we have low these many years. But uh, but in the new year, I think we're going to be back. Um, when when is that conversation scheduled? January sixth. So we'll probably ship it a few days later. We we'll be back after the after the first of the year though. Yeah, it's something like that first Wednesday of class. Okay. <sighs> um, so anyway, that, that's what we'll be doing in the new year. Back at it, right? Cool. Yeah. 
So are you wearing headphones right now? Yeah. Because every once in a while, I feel like I get a little, some sort of echo somehow of something. Oh. But you're, you're wearing headphones, right? Uh, I'm wearing the AirPod, yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, all this is so going to... ghost st- in the machine. All this is going to stay in the show because I'm not, I'm not editing this one. No, I understand. This is going so straight So we're running out, out of time um, because of the social occasion that's occurring here. Oh, boy. See, um, it is, so it's, a holiday, it's a holiday time of year. There are many social obligations that both of us have. So it's, we're fitting this one in, and we're hoping the listeners yep. can fit this into their busy ho- holiday schedules. This is our, this is our, yes. this is our uh, holiday season episode, our holiday episode. Mm. I feel like mm. I should have some jingle bells, some practical effects, something around here. But um, I've got it. Yeah, you're, and you're going. Your manner is going full NPR. I'm expecting a, some sort of Alec Ooh. Baldwin SNL bit here <laughs> in a moment. All right, I've got. I have two topics and some mailbag. I thought we'd go through. Are okay. you re- Are you ready to proceed? I'm so ready, Governor. Um. So yeah, actually, the first one was about podcasts and blogs, and um, uh, you know, this came up on Twitter. Because the Concurring Opinions blog is shutting down. Did you read this? Yes. I saw that. And at a time when I think blogs, you know, maybe they could make a comeback. Really? I, I mean, I think we are in a somewhat of a crisis moment for social media and information. Like, you know, um, yeah. how, do, how do you trust it? Where does it come from? How should we consume these things? People, are, I think, are more mindful than ever about information consumption habits and not, yeah. not just in terms of truth, but I think everyone's kind of reevaluating. I know a lot of people are uh, signing out of Facebook and maybe even deleting their accounts because of their, let's face it, like shady, shady, shady information practices at Facebook. Um, mm, yeah. I've been out of there for a while and I'm considering deleting my account, but like I didn't want people to think I was unfriending them. That seems unfriendly. So anyway, I, I don't know what I'm going to do there, but, but I do feel like, and, you know, for a long time, as you know, like I've gotten most of my news off of Twitter um, and, you know, where I'll read linked articles and, and I'll read people's blog posts, but usually finding them through Twitter. And now I'm wondering, like the other day, I was considering like reinstalling an RSS reader. Like maybe that's wow. a better way. I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying these things are we're, – we're in a very uncertain informational facade right now. Yeah, I, I have my um... – now I can't remember the name of it. Is it Feedly? I have an RSS aggregator for news postings on face on a uh, different uh, blogs and the like. Mm-hmm. Called Feedly dot com, and I've been using that. There was a Google aggregator, I think, for a while. Was it Google, a Google aggregator? Now I can't even remember. But there was like another aggregator that got shut down, and that was go- Google Reader. So, Google Reader. Yeah, Google I mean- Reader. Which was great. I used that for a long time, and that got turned off. And of course, it uh, did. It's I, a Google I, thing. Unless it's yeah. search or, or ads, Google is going to start it, and then they're going to shut it down. That's what they do. Right. So, uh, but Feedly has worked pretty well for me. So I I, I enjoy that. Federico Vitici on I think iMore. He had an, an annual roundup of like the best apps, and there was a there was a uh, an RSS reader in there that kind of caught my eye. That I thought, well, maybe oh. maybe I'll maybe I'll dip back into that. Maybe I'll turn off the the Twitter engine, especially now that I have to use both the official Twitter app and Tweetbot because, you know, they they um, uh, they kind of gave a haircut to the third party apps Twitter did. Uh, and mm. so now, like, you can't like it doesn't stream 
in Tweetbot and you don't see likes in Tweetbot. It's it's just a you know. So you have to kind of use both if you want to see everything, and that's just like. Huh. And then the and then of course, um, uh, what's his name? Who's the uh, Twitter guy? The Twitter founder, um, head of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Did you see this tweet that he had? He no. had been, he had been away for a while. You know, you know how people tweet at Jack because they're all upset about uh, various things going on with Twitter, and Twitter constantly is, you know, tinkering with new features that kind of nobody wants and not taking care of the Nazi problem. And so Jack gets tweeted at a lot. Yeah. And yeah. And then he tweeted, you know, at, that he's been out of contact for a couple of weeks. This was recently because he was um, on a um, a silent meditation retreat. Mm. In. Myanmar, and goes on to talk about what a wonderful place Myanmar was. Not a single mention of the genocide. Really? Yeah. It's like how much more tone deaf can you get? I mean, it's like he's playing to his weakness. Uh, it was. I, I right. thought it was kind of nuts. Um, so anyway, I've been. I've well, been. Th- I've been be, thinking about these To be fair things. to him, Christian. Christian. To be fair to him, I think the likelihood that they were conducting human slaughter in the immediate vicinity of his luxury hotel is pretty low. Well, I don't know that he was in a luxury hotel. I, I mean, he was, I think, I don't know. He was going all around the country and seeing various things and very much engaged in his, his practice. And um, I don't know. I think you get to a certain amount of wealth like that and you have this kind of privilege of living life at the edge, you know, and feeling, you know what I mean? Like you're able to kind of go anywhere and and you're kind of looking for. Um, well, I don't. I don't want to put. I don't want to put emotions or words in his mouth. I don't know what he was thinking. He just went to Myanmar and talked about what a wonderful time he had and what a beautiful country it is, without mentioning a very recent genocidal slaughter. So, I thought it was crazy. Yeah, yeah I thought it was just absolutely nuts. Um, it does sound a bit odd, to say yeah. the least. Uh, so, um, so anyway, I've been thinking about all these things, and and at the same time that um, they, they announced concurring opinions was shutting down, there was a thread that. Um, um, Kim Karawaj and um, Dave Hoffman and others were involved in about the role of podcasts and whether people should start podcasts now and what its relationship is with legal academia compared to blogs, compared to other things. And, um, and people said some, like some really nice things about, about our show and, and, um, and, and Brian Fry's new show and, and others, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, there's the natural security law podcast this week in health law, a lot of great legal podcasts now. And in addition to lots of ones that like student law reviews are starting. Um, and, and it made me think a little bit about like, you know, and, and, you know, maybe I'm reflecting on five years here, but like we've been producing these ephemeral things for five years. And I think it's important to think of it in that context as little bits of ephemera. Um, I don't know if you think of it that way though. Do you think of our shows as, as having an ephemeral quality? What do you I, what do you mean when you say that having an ephemeral quality? Because they're um, they're the opposite of ephemeral. If you think about the recording file when it's out there accessible on the web, and yeah, the person fi- can look at it. I mean, I guess if the if the entire web goes away, there wouldn't be traces of it except on certain computers. But yeah, they're fixed in, in a tangible sense, medium. It's not ephemeral at all. Yeah, I know. I mean, they're what fixed that? in that way. I mean, they're fixed in a tangible medium. To use uh, your favorite IP terms, and I know you want us to be precise about these things, Joe. <laughs> um, no, I mean, of, of course you can return to them at any time. And, and so nothing is quite ephemeral like it was in maybe the age of radio, where a broadcast would go out unrecorded and, and that was it. I, I mean something a little bit different, though. I mean, 
yes, it's possible that people could listen to an episode and go back to it. And in fact, I've encouraged people to um, uh, use our our topic list and our guest list if you teach. Like you could – and you have a student who's looking for a paper topic. You know, I think our episodes are great places to get started whether you listen to them or not. I mean they, uh, also the show notes have – you know, papers and yes. papers about the papers. So they're, they're great kind of little kind of capsules for um, for a student looking for a topic or for pe- other people interested in learning more about an area. I think it's a decent place to start. But I think when you listen to one of these episodes, like kind of you're, you're in on a conversation, right? A conversation itself, if it's not recorded, you agree, is, is ephemeral, right? It is a thing of the moment that has an impact on the mind. Um, but it's continued relevance is in kind of the impacted mind, right? Not in kind of returning to it like a, like a book, right? You agree with that? Uh, for, yes, an unrecorded conversation, I suppose that's right. I, I, and so given that these are recorded and therefore not ephemeral in that same sense in which an unrecorded conversation is ephemeral, I guess I would say what these are is informal. Uh, yeah. They are, especially relative to some other sorts of uh, intellectual production that people like us do, uh, these conversations are much less, uh, the form in which they occur is much less uh, highly conventionalized. It's, um, you know, because it's a conversation, there isn't the sort of citation practice or reference practice. Uh, There isn't a uniformity of style and, and reference. So there's an there's a real informality to it. Well, I guess what I mean is that the intentionality that we bring to these conversations is the same as I would bring to any other bit, uh, you know, any other kind of ephemera, right? It is I'm having a conversation. It is a thing which I'm, you know, I'm speaking into the mic and at least when this is going well and I'm not thinking about the act itself and I'm just having a conversation with someone, it feels like any other kind of conversation. And so the intentionality that we kind of bring to this exercise is, is, is of that ilk. But also I think the listener, you know, when I listen to podcasts uh, like ours, I experience it as, you know, if not participating, although, you know, in my mind I do speak back sometimes. And so it has that slightly, you know, strange participatory feel, even though it's not, um, there too, the conversation feels like I'm experiencing this ephemeral thing, because uh, I rarely go back and listen again to conversational podcasts. Um, so, I, so I, yes, it's, the thing that we're doing is not strictly ephemeral in that, in 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 a, in a strict sense. I mean, it is fixed and it can be returned to, and it is you know it could be transcribed. These are words that I'm speaking, which are being recorded, and so they are, you know, no less ephemeral than anything else that kind of humanity records. Um, I mean, it will all be wiped away in a gamma ray burst eventually, right, Joe? But right. Um, uh, but that said, it, there's something psychologically ephemeral about it. And it, at okay. least it feels that way to me in contradistinction to, say, writing an article um, maybe somewhere, um, uh, maybe a blog post is a little bit closer to, to this, but still, but still different. Um, and and I, I don't use that as a slur at all. I don't think this is less valuable because of that. In fact, I think there's some strength and I was just, you know, I was just kind of musing about whether in, if, if we kind of zoom out and we think of what are we trying to do here in like the legal academy or in the academy more broadly, but it's, you know, this is what we know, the legal academy. Is there a role for this kind of ephemeral thing? Like, you know, um, in a world where we can 
have these kinds of conversations and distribute them widely and people can engage and, and think about them. Like that wasn't always possible. You know, books and, and articles were a kind of communication, as we've talked about before, which is um, you can – for all else that's true about them, you know, the, you're being highly considered, lots of editing. Um, th- it was kind of the way that you could communicate within a geographically spread out group of people in podcasts – and these kinds of conversations are, are just different from that, right? I mean, um, and, and it's not clear to me that, uh, you know, that we're not doing anything valuable. <laughs> Which I get, that's the lowest form of praise, isn't it? It's not clear to me that we're not doing anything valuable. But do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> uh, I think I'm getting a few. Oh, boy. A, a li- I think I'm getting little bits of it. You got to z- tune um, into my wavelength, Joe. Yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm going to, okay, so now I'm going to more firmly reject the word ephemeral. Uh, I think it's, it's not just inaccurate, uh, it's misleadingly inaccurate. Oh, boy. Uh, and it relates directly to the points you're making about what is of value in what we do. Mm-hmm. And some of the value you've already pointed out, the fact that you could refer someone to this um, as a resource, and that could continue to be the case. So informality, I agree. I come to the conversation with an informality, there's a looseness to what we talk about with, with our guests when we're just talking with each other. So it has a looseness and an informality and an improvisational quality to it that's very gratifying and that I think does help us achieve things we would not achieve in more formal modes of expression and, and in more formal media. But uh, I, I think the Ephemeral in, in the, the word ephemeral in the in the way that I think most people understand that word it, is that it's uh, something that that blinks out of existence pretty quickly, and that's just not true for for this stuff. Uh, nor would we want it to be true, uh, and the value that it adds to the overall fabric of scholarly dialogue, scholarship at its best is in all of its forms is always, I think, dialogic. Uh, so the, what it adds to scholarly dialogue, what it adds to dialogue about law and, and the effect of law and life, that is due directly to its not being evanescent, to its having a continuing, persisting existence. Uh, so yeah, ephemeral is just like yeah, dumb, and you should stop saying what it. I what I what I'm pushing back on is that I just don't think so. With a book or an article, you know, when I teach, um, you know, Hart's concept of law. You know, I reread that stuff and think about it every year that I teach it, right? And I get new things yeah. out of it. And, and of course, you could do that with some of our conversations. I'm not, you know, um, maybe none of the conversations we've had have been quite as penetrating as uh, the concept of law. You know, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to prejudge it. Um, but the, and it's the encounter that one has with, with this kind of work, right? That you, hear it and it changes you for having, like any conversation, it changes you from having been involved in it. And the nature of that change is not one where you are thinking, well, necessarily, like with a book, um, you know, I, I read that in that book. And if I want to know it more exactly, I'll go back and I'll read it again. Rather, with many conversations, you come out a different person on the other side after a number of accreted conversations in particular. And and it's hard to trace how they've changed you exactly, right? It's you have perspectives you didn't have before, but if I try to think about, you know, why why do I feel the way I do about, I don't know, any given issue or any you know any you know metaphysics or whatever else it is, 
you know, there are going to be some things that I've read, but, but just many conversations that I've had and, and I can't possibly pull apart what, what came from what. And I think conversation is, I'm just venturing here. I'm just thinking out loud, but it, it seems to me like conversation, um, while I can remember particular conversations and the impact of some of them, um, I am the product of many that I can never really recall in detail. And there, there's something important about um, what I keep calling the ephemeral nature of conversation, right? That, that it exists in the moment. And it, it, the, the intention that one has with respect to having an ephemeral conversation is just different than the intention one has when preparing to put something down, which you expect to persist. And the, the intention and interest that you have in listening, either in on a conversation or participating in a conversation, I think, is different uh, uh, from from that which you might have with respect to something which is written down, where you expect to, you know, where there's a, a communication that you know that was intended to persist, that was carefully, very carefully put down for particular purposes, and you're trying to kind of, you know, you're trying to kind of reverse engineer those purposes in order to capture more fully what you think are the the real ideas. Um, so I, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to push for some huge ontological distinction here between what we do and, and books and articles and blog posts and all these. I'm, I'm just kind of musing about whether, you know, what is it about podcasts and conversations like ours that could be valuable or, you know, in particular, the kind of podcasts that we do. And I often like, you know, even, even after I've edited them, I, I enjoy listening to our conversations, especially, um, where we get somewhere kind of unexpected. I, I find that to be a real pleasure sometimes. And I always find them to be more enjoyable to listen to than I expected, right? Because, you know, who wants to listen to themselves talk? And, and usually I don't. But, um, you know, but when you're involved and other guests are involved, it, it's often, you know, it's fun. And and I just, I'm just trying to put my finger on what is it uh, that is, you know, um, when I think of what scholarship is meant to do, uh, what, which is just make more knowledge, right, uh, of different kinds. There's something about this medium which is, you know, unlocks something which maybe is a contribution to that effort that, that couldn't have been unlocked before. I don't know. Yeah, could be. I agree. Um, uh, the traceability, the fact that you can't trace... Um, in a sort of dialogical or, or genealogical sense, the how is it that that the present state came to be precisely? Uh, I think that's true, uh, and so the more persistent thing is the is that net effect of having certain conversations. Uh, but I don't think that makes the conversations themselves any less important or or constitutive of that that end result. Hmm. Well, that's I mean that is kind of the basic question. Like you know, when we're having a conversation, I said, and and one of us says, hey, you know, have we talked about this before? Has this come up before? And we have a sneaking suspicion that maybe it has, but we're not sure. Um, right. You know, that's the kind of thing that can happen with hours and hours of conversation. Uh, spread over over <laughs> right. many over many years, especially for people of our increasingly advanced age. Um, but but, that, but but right that that is the question: Is something different happening in terms of your understanding and your readiness to produce new knowledge that 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 results from compounded conversational interactions over many years in a in a way which is different from reading an article or a book? You know, um, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's the basic question. 
Well, let's let, you want to leave that for a second. I guess. I mean, I just don't know what it would mean for us to like, is it different or is it not different? Um, gosh. Um, I'm reminded of our conversations with Charles Barzan about um, the way that if you think about, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the contents of your mind as this uh, a sort of jiggling jello mold of connections among things. And so each thing you add to it um, is both a new connection and with an item, but then there's also maybe, maybe some of the connections that were there before get reconfigured mm. as well. Mm-hmm. So like the new thing changes when it connects with other stuff, the other stuff changes when the new thing connects with them. Um, is that the same or different? I, 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 you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't subjectively experience an insight I have by virtue of participating in a conversation with someone differently from the way I experience an insight I have from reading a discussion of an, of a point that, that helps me see the point better. Hmm. I'm not so sure. I'm not, I'm not as sure about that as you are. I think that the, okay. that the medium that it, I'm not experiencing it differently. No, no. I, for, for my part, um, I, I trust you for your part as, as much as I trust any of us. And I, which is not much, I have to say, um, that's true. Self-report is it's, uh, is its own perilous, right. Right. Uncertainty. Right. And, and I'm not quite as sure as you are that the medium isn't kind of critical for that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's, Let's go to the next topic. Let's make Which some. What? Let's make some new ephemera. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm just never going to agree to call it that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe give me another five years, Joe. Give me another five years to work on you about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay so I got. I've got one quick topic, and, okay. and this is sure to make you angry. And, and then, oh, good. And then I have. Because uh, uh, you I, haven't done that enough yet today. I think I'm. I think I'm going to read three notes that we got. Okay. Okay. So, um, the bird scooters. What about them? So, are people aware of these dockless scooter startups? These um, um, there are a number of them. I think Lime, but basically these are scooters, uh, electric scooters, which are typically dropped off in an urban area. Um, there are a number of them scattered around the town, and you can rent these things with an app which charges you per minute usually there's an initial fee and you can kind of scan the thing with your phone and you you can ride this around town a little bit and then just park it wherever you want cool um and and they came to athens the bird scooters did and immediately came under fire from uh the university here and from people in the town uh for various reasons um i i I, i'm gonna put my cards on the table i'm a huge fan of these things um I I was a huge fan. I mean, I read them, I I rode them a couple of times and I think that they're interesting. Um, And um, our city, did you see this? Did you see what our city did, Joe? Athens Clark? I did not. They have have banned them for a year, a year long moratorium while they study and then invite Hmm. proposals. This is just like it works with cars, of course. You ban all cars from your town. And then you put out, then you allow the car manufacturers to submit proposals for how people will use cars in your town. And then you let them in on that base. Well, that's what they're doing with scooters. Um, That's great. So, Um, you know, uh, quite apart from your little sass there, um, (laughs) 
Now, if, if we if we if we put ourselves back in history to the introduction of the um, you know the gas horse, automobile, horseless horseless carriages, yeah, for example, um, I bet there would be a very interesting uh, tale to be told about the way different localities reacted to the introduction of those vehicles and concerns they had about how those vehicles were operating and the uh, various regulatory consequences of having this new kind of vehicle involved and whether the existing uh, laws or ordinances were a good fit or a poor fit. Uh, Now, I don't know that history in detail. I do think it'd be kind of fun to read or hear someone talk about. uh, But yeah, surely uh, there's like a legal scholar or someone or a historian who's written a book like Cars, right, which goes back to the introduction of that would be fa- i agree with you we should get we should get someone on here yeah. to talk about this well you know it's funny because when we you might recall we did talk to or occur about his uh, paper about the homeostatic i think that's what it's yep. called something like the homeostatic yep. fourth amendment yeah and and the introduction of the car um as this closed fast moving uh conveyance uh, that that lots of people owned privately th- had tremendous consequences for law enforcement and for the ways that courts thought about law enforcement activity mm-hmm. and the need for perhaps more intrusive policing and how that might readjust one's view about the the rigors of the Fourth Amendment or not. Um, my point was simply that, you know, you, you were just there trying to draw some sort of Im- implicit or explicit sharp contrast between the way the scooters are being greeted and the way that cars were greeted at some point in the past, I, I think you might have overdrawn the contrast. I, oh, I think I don't know the history. I'm not sure, but I think I've underdrawn it. But I'll we'll come back to that in a second. Okay, um, I hadn't seen that Athens Clark County did that. I'm not as surprised that they did it, knowing what I know about what we experienced. Um, and it does make one wonder whether or not the the scooter folk would have had better luck if they had been a little less sort of, you know, Elon Musk spazzy disruptor in their attitude from the start uh, or not. We'll never know. But Well, so there's uh, – and you, you and I have fought about this before, full disclosure to our listeners. Yes. And yes. Um, uh, so, you know, Segway, when they've tried to um, kind of change the world with the original Segway device – uh, they did yep. a lot of uh, going to various municipalities and legislatures and really tried to kind of get out in front of this to in order to change some laws. And yep. the reaction they were met with was was basically to ban them before they even got started. And so I think the the newest wave of these kinds of personal mobility devices, the, the, the new wave is to just put them there, develop a constituency, and then think about changing some laws. You know, it's trying to introduce something where there's no constituency for it is is – can be difficult. Um, yeah, but, the political yeah. economy here is quite complicated because you've got an, you've got a, one or more incumbents. Of course, they're going to be doing what they can do to ensure that their both, both the benefits they're currently enjoying are not interrupted, uh, and that um, a a fierce competitor of theirs, if they can hobble it at the gate, of course they would probably prefer to do that than not. Uh, so I get that the political political economy here is is presents. For, for a new entrant presents lots of very unattractive options. Um, and, and there's not just the uh, attractiveness or not for the new entrant, there's attractiveness or not for, for, you know, members of the general public. Um, so it's, it's, it's complicated. I mean, I, you know, there's, I don't feel like there's an easy 
answer, uh, and and so I would include in the things that is not an easy answer. We'll just go ahead and you know disrupt the hell out of stuff and sort it all out later. Um, that has some benefits, but it has some drawbacks too. Yeah, it does. I you know disruption is an interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting word because we have what you don't see are the millions of dollars of implicit subsidies we have for the use of private automobiles. Um, you know, we give over a tremendous amount of our land in the city, at least in our city, to um, the storage of cars. And uh, we take away yeah. from pedestrian space a huge amount of space for cars to travel. And totally. it, kind of the, the the bet is that this is a, a better way of life, right? If we devote land to this rather than to that. And yeah. Um, and so it is, and you know, zoning density and how that's handled for housing and for work, and right. that would all be configured quite differently if you weren't assuming the ready availability and the frequent use of automobiles and buses. Um, so you know, absolutely. I mean, just think about the fact that most jurisdictions have minimum parking requirements if you want to open a bar, right? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a little nuts. Uh, and this is even right. to take climate change, especially a bar. <laughs> even even if we were to take climate change off the table, which we. I think can't, right? I mean, the, the idea that you would right. uh, have this level of subsidy for something so damaging is, you know, but like it, it it costs a lot to transition, you know, if you can't just kind of overturn this mode of development and 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 uh, kind of everyday usage of, of cars overnight. Um, so there's that. Um, but what struck me in reading the article about this ban was – that and I know that in some cities, like people, you know, people hate these things. They pick them up, they throw them into the, um, they throw them into the ocean or into lakes, or they otherwise, you know, there, there's been a lot of like negative reaction to these things, and that's kind of interesting to me. Um, that uh, I think in some places they've been associated with this kind of tech bro, um, you know, who, you know, we're going to change everything. Who cares about the city or its way of life? And and this is my way of kind of striking back at the the people who go to work in their private buses from San Francisco to Silicon Valley and, and fill our streets full of these scooters without caring about like the fact that they're blocking my way on the sidewalk. So I, I get that. I have to say though, that in our community, I never saw scooters, which were like, they never impacted my walking or driving life in any way. You know, I would see them parked alongside the road, usually quite properly. Uh, but I never encountered one that impacted my life negatively in any way. And when I read the article, I didn't see any evidence that they had done that either. I saw vague references to um, uh, safety concerns. And, and look, for all I know, there might have been um, some serious safety concerns. I don't know how they relate to automobiles because, of course, I'm sure there have been some automobile accidents in the same period. I don't know what rate um, scooters have presented a problem, what kinds of problems. But there's nothing disclosing that that was a big part of the thinking here. And in the and, and when I when I read it, you know, one of the quotes is like, you know, uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was one of the city council uh, people was talking about how, you know, uh, they just uh, what well, it, it's just like anti entitlement attitude that they think they can just dump these things here and not worry about it. But like without pointing to any actual social problems that they were addressing. And I thought that's just, I find it, I'm trying to, maybe I'm beating around the bush here. I find it infuriating um, that they would just ban these things without pointing to particular social problems that are created that they're trying to address. Um, Okay, so 
I mean, I agree with you that that banning um, banning an item or an activity is a serious thing for a legislature to do. And so one wouldn't, I wouldn't want legislatures to go around banning activities or, or items uh, willy-nilly uh, without justification. What it does suggest, though, is that if what people were talking about when they were talking about uh, enacting this moratorium, if what they were talking about was the in, the way that the their introduction into the community bespoke a certain level of obnoxiousness and entitlement, maybe that was the social problem being addressed. In, in which case, um, the evidence for it is the fact that people were experiencing it in that way. That, I, I do not understand. I mean, look, if, if you can show that you have, uh, you've been trying to walk to work like you normally do, and there's a scooter which is blocking your way, and it has actually impacted you in some way, or that uh, you've had to swerve out of the way of various people riding scooters, and that's been a problem in a way that it wouldn't be if, because they haven't banned these scooters. You can go out and buy one now and ride it around town. Right. Um, so so uh, if you could show that the actual rental of these dockless scooters is causing some problem, uh, then I would understand it. And I think UGA did post, like when these things first came out, a video from a bus, from various buses, which showed what they considered to be very dangerous practices. And I watched the video and I'm like, yeah, there are a few of them which look a little bit, but most of them seem fine. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I remember seeing those clips too. And I and my reaction was slightly different. My, my Some of the stuff, some of the behavior on the scooter seemed quite unexceptional. Um, but I think I, I would have rated more of it as, as, um, dangerous or or worrisome than you might have um but that might have to do with the fact that i'm extremely uncoordinated and you know <laughs> when i make it safely across a room from one side to the other i want to give myself a little gold star i have to say when i rode these things they weren't as stable as i thought they would be i i i i thought i would kind of take to them more easily than i did um i did ride them and i thought they were kind of fun but um but I was expecting them to be easier, and you know, I'm someone who bikes back and forth to work most days, and yeah, uh, and it was, uh, you know, it, it, maybe the throttle wasn't, it, maybe it was just the ones that I had. The throttle wasn't quite as smooth, and so it kind of jerked when I would throttle down, and that threatened to kind of throw me over the front of the thing. So there's a little bit of a learning curve with these things. But so that said, I think the idea that you would ban these things at this time. When we are given how much we subsidize the automobile, and given all of the costs of the automobile, and um, that you would kind of ban these things because you had a thought about the intentions of the people who put them there, which of course you know you really don't know for sure, right? I mean, this is just a model of in your head of like intentions no, you again, suspect someone not, has. You're, you're 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 misdescribing it. It's it's not a thought about the intentions of the people. It's a it's a experience of the effects of the people. Well, that's exactly so, what I'm saying, though. What what effects? What effects? The, the effects of it's being introduced in a manner that you experience as, as fairly described as obnoxious and entitled and entitled. bizarre. So in, entitled, of course, is about the intentions of the person doing it. Right, but it's an as if. I don't think anyone, I, I certainly was not trying to say that I know for sure. In fact, I'm happy to assume the contrary. I'm happy to assume that the people who introduced it had only the most angelic, non-bro-like possible motivations and intentions. Okay. Nevertheless, the manner in which it was done might strike some people in a particular locale, Athens or anywhere else, might strike people in a particular locale as sort of high-handed, haughty, 
irritating, and bizarre. And and that might be the very social problem being addressed by the moratorium. But I don't understand what that problem is. You want to make sure is. that you don't reward someone for engaging in an extremely haughty form of behavior by by simply letting it pass. Well, of course, haughty refers to intentions again. I, I don't again, see how you're getting around and, intentions. And, and you know I'm not, because I'm not, I've already explained it, I'm not <laughs> doing it in a way that is actually trying to make a subjective description to the actual people involved. I'm talking about the way it's experienced. Like, I think many people might say, oh, if I did something like that, what that would indicate was that I was being kind of arrogant and haughty. Um, now, I don't know these folks, so I don't know if that's what they were doing or not. And I'll assume the contrary. Nevertheless, it can be experienced socially in a community as problematic if they think to themselves, gosh, if I did that, that's what I would mean by it. I, I, I don't understand that inference right so if you if you say objectively someone who did this would have that intent you know if i did this i would have that intention but i actually think they're you know i'm going to assume their intention was the opposite therefore what follows from that especially in a situation where you experience no actual harm right the only harm you experience is just knowing these things are out there for rent and occasionally seeing them parked what i always saw like responsibly like over a manhole or uh, you know uh you know those um off of the side of the sidewalk. Now, um, if if it was a, a real problem, people were tripping over these things, they were blocking things, then, you know, it, there, there are actually ways to address that. And and that could be one of the things they're going right. to do during this moratorium is find out like ways to to regulate. Um, and, and, and again, I don't want to like, I, it could be the decision makers here and the decision makers at the university um, know more about this company. Apparently, they impounded a lot of these scooters and had trouble you know, um, getting fines paid and things like that. So it seems to me there are ways to solve this problem, but they may have more information that, that, that makes your point. Um, well, I, it doesn't make your point, but, but, um, do you know what I mean? So, so they may have more information that makes this whole thing more explicable. It's just in the article describing right. the decision-making process. None of that was apparent. And I think that, um, safety, uh, the perception of, of safety in for, for people in and around the scooters, using the scooters, encountering the scooters. You know, I don't know what the data is either. I don't know what the comparable data is for other means of conveyance, um, bicycles, cars, what have you, walking. Um, you know, um, uh, so I don't, I, I don't know what a, a hard-nosed, data-driven only uh, assessment would be. But I think, you know, a, a, a local town council that doesn't have un, you know unlimited funds at its disposal to engage in hard-nosed uh, comprehensive data assessments that wants to enact a moratorium for six months or 12 months i i don't it doesn't strike me as um a, as a completely awful um it it does ultimately they do have to have a sufficient justification based in fact uh for what they do and i hope that they're trying to develop that uh, my suspicion as, as is with that the, with yeah, the time they have bought themselves. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Uh, um, and um, of course, they didn't ban scooters, right? They just banned the kind of dockless renting of these scooters. And you know, so you could, so it would have to be, you know, that that offering these things in that way induces more use. And so we're trying to we're trying to reduce the usage of scooters and therefore the incidence of safety problems. 
through um, by, by constraining the way that these things are offered. I don't know what the you know it would have to be something like that, which is even harder to document. Um, but I but from everything I read, it seems yeah, to be and, more and about look, the fact that like I just we don't want these things kind of junking up around town. We don't like the idea of these things kind of parked wherever they are. These young whippersnappers like you know shooting in and out of traffic and the way they're used. I mean, that seems to be more about like people's idea about. <laughs> how you know the idea of disruption um and it's like do you realize like there's a whole you know as junky as you think the scooter looks like parked on the edge of a sidewalk when i look across the street i see a huge asphalt parking lot <laughs> devoted to cars and it's just it's far worse but you know one man's this is another man's that as they say well so what do you think what do i think of what what do you think of this ban? I think we need to take oh, up the mantle I, here. I think oral argument needs to be associated with fighting this ban. Ah, uh, well, hmm. <laughs> There's a problem then. <laughs> I don't think that will be the case. Um, no, look, if it were me uh, and I were on the town council and I were participating in this conversation, I might have been a person who said, you know, I, I, look, I, if the problem is the scooters and the, and the way they're being used and the, and the safety issues that, they, that it seems they may present, the sensible thing to do is ban all use of them, no matter who owns them. Uh, and the, the rental thing is neither here nor there. Uh, someone who owns one and is zipping around town uh, in a way that endangers themselves or others is just as worrisome and problematic as someone who rents from this company. So uh, if we're to have a moratorium to find out what a sensible uh, set of traffic ordinance is, is for a world where these things will become more, not less numerous, um, I'd be all, I'd all, be all for banning all of them, hmm. not just the renting of them. Um, if if I were convinced that the, that getting us a period of time where they weren't being used would allow us to do what we wanted to do by way of framing sensible policy, so. If, if the criticism is of the distinction being drawn between those who rent them and those who own them, that that's a kind of a weird line to draw, I totally agree from the way you've described it. Um, well, but if, it's if, not. I mean, if, the, because the, the problem that you described, the social problem you, desi- you described, which is the perception of being kind of, of outsiders um, uh, taking a, uh, a very liberal attitude toward your town in order to enrich themselves or something. Th- this imagined motivation is the social problem. Then, of course, this makes total yeah, but sense. I was, but, but I was making, look, I was making a second point, which was if, if, again, if safety is the concern, right, then I think the line drawn is, is weird. Yeah. If, if your concern is on the alternative theory where the social problem being addressed isn't safety at all, rather, it is the manner in which the new thing was introduced into the locality, then yeah, you're right. The, the line they drew is exactly the right one to draw. Although, if that's the case, um, I, I don't see why it would be a, a moratorium of a fixed term. I would think it would be an indefinite prohibition. Well, because there, you know, there are some cities who have objected to the way that these things are kind of dropped off and the city can't get in touch with the company to either find them or to work with them. And so they've the city wants to kind of contract and have a few authorized vendors of these things. Um, some cities have done that and maybe Athens wants to go that way. I think it's terrible. I think, but I, I think it's another example of the total failure to appreciate opportunity cost of what we have. 
right? So against the baseline of what we have now, these, you know, having these things looks like an introduction of something which may be causing some kind of problems. But as it kind of, you know, if this worked well, what other kinds of things would people rent? Um, what other kinds of businesses would people engage in to try to kind of um, change the patterns of transportation? And we look, we desperately need it because, it, you know, living in a town where you have to drive everywhere sucks. I mean, you know, that's luckily I live kind of close enough in where I don't have to do that every day. I can bike. I can walk at least some places. But there's still a lot of places around town I have to drive and I hate it. Um, but I realize a lot of people don't. And I just, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to complain too much. This is a this is a Christmas show, Joe. I don't want to complain. Yeah, um, and my gift to you is um, that I can certainly understand why um, when you take a a broader view of more and more technologies that we use to convey ourselves, you know, hither and yon, um, that the the this new technology could be a very salutary addition to that sort of portfolio of things. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I totally get that, as we were talking about before, the political economy of introducing a new mode when other modes that are already there and have already kind of cut them, like developed a pretty sweet deal, socially speaking, overall. Like, that's hard. Totally get it. Yeah, that, that um, that's, it's that you can't, like, if you were in charge of like, um, uh, I don't. I don't want to speak for any particular institution. And again, I don't know what all information they had. I'm working in a from a uh, an information deprived yeah. setting, so I want to be clear about that. On the other hand, like something arrives at your doorstep, which is a potential solution to some problems that you have, and your gut reaction is, um, "Oh my God, why can't people do things regular?" Like that's the, no, but that, but yeah. you, and that's not fair either. So I'm I'm trying to be more fair, and I think you need to be try to be more fair, which is that. When, when the very way in which you introduce the new thing makes it very hard to distinguish without a, at least some assistance from trash that's left on the street or on the sidewalk, um, that, that they're making it harder than they need to for people to comprehend and understand what it yeah. is and what the benefit could be. See, I just don't think it looked like and, that. I don't okay, think it looked like and that. You, and so we disagree about that because I saw plenty of kind of weird kind of strewn about, some laying on their side, some upright. It kind of looked like a bunch of trash had shown up in town suddenly. That's how it looked to me. And then I found out what they were. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, let's, I hope we sort out how to put them upright instead of leaving them on their side like they're garbage. See, they, that would be that would, strewn all over the place. That, that's, why, that's why some systematic you know, analysis here would, would help. And it wouldn't take that long. I don't think you need to ban them for a year to figure this out. Because you know, when I saw I them, they, they were always parked upright. I didn't really see them strewn about. And and almost always parked off of the sidewalk and off of the road in a way that looked reasonable to me. Um, and when you actually use them, I think you're supposed to take a picture of how you park them. And, of course, the company knows who's parked what when. And so all of the pieces are there to kind of uh, – uh, for a regulation where you could find someone for putting them in a place that blocked a sidewalk or something like that. But I, but yeah. the other bit of information I don't have here is how easy is it to get in touch with a company to find, you know, it's like, all right, so we, we should leave this here now. But my objection. Yeah, I imagine yeah. as a, as a startup with, you know, full of people who are interested in sort of, um, uh, bringing the greatest amount of change to as many people as quickly as possible. I'm sure they were highly responsive to inquiries from 
people wondering what the heck all these new things that had shown up in their town were. I'm sure they had all sorts of data to share and had a very positive attitude about uh, making sure people appreciated all the good they were doing for them. Well, when it comes to disrupting certain kinds of things, I am all in favor of it. And if it's, and if it's, uh, you know, carbon producing automobiles, um, I am all in favor of disrupting that. Cool. As, as much as possible. Because, you know, awesome. we have to. Love it. We have to disrupt that. Uh, yes, we do. Okay. Okay. So we're agreed. This, they made a terrible decision. Let's go to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me read you a couple notes, Joe. First is from listener Joshua. You ready for this one? Totally. Uh, and so this is, you know, Joshua may be one of the only people still listening to this episode at this point, but because he uh, mm. begins, first, I so enjoy your show, especially the stream of consciousness form of the threadbare Just Joe and Christian episodes. As such, I think I'm likely about to deliver a stream of consciousness, consciousness-esque email. Mm. Uh, I've never written in an A show as I've never imagined any of the various pundits, personalities, and generally liberal demagogues would really care enough for me to devote my time to it. Uh, Joe, one day you let off an exchange as follows. Writhing, uh, no, Ring Wraith Paul Ryan did X, unconscionable thing. Um, since that day, I thought, well, and then he uses an expletive here. Uh, uh, you know, well, well, darn, I guess I have to listen to all 160-something episodes. Uh, I don't have <laughs> more than one or two academic or terribly contemplative friends with whom to have these sorts of conversations because of a strange succession of twists and turns in my life. And so I take refuge under the umbrella of your and Christian's musings, misgivings, and yes, even the maladies from Health Corner. This, hmm. yeah, we, got, we got a true argument on our hands here, Joe. Uh, Tell you. Uh, Christian, don't fret the listener from today's show. And here he goes into this thing, you know, well, remember when we had the bit of feedback about how um, one of our listeners thought The Dark Knight was a terrible movie? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and listener Joshua makes the point, this is kind of interesting. Uh, um, they, they, first of all, the, the listener was clearly wrong. Uh, but then Joshua says, the Joker and Batman in that movie are both my spirit animals. Luckily, I am able to keep oh. the Joker subdued when some of the more egregious and soul-depressing facets of today's current events scroll across my screen. Oh, my. The, that, that image of, of all of us containing the Joker and, and, and the Batman inside of us. Maybe that's too much darkness for one person. I don't know. I have to ask, if yeah. I were to look into Oral Argument headquarters, who sits on the left? I have this picture of Joe on the left, but is that some strange bias or is it grounded in reality? In any case, I'm just an evening law student at a small, low-ranked school, but I'm thankful for shows like yours that have allowed me to expand my knowledge in things not just related to the law, but still law-centric and, above all, things utterly informed. Um, I've come to this field later in life than most, and Oral Argument, oral argument has provided an incubator uh, within which I'm able to reach out and touch the areas of the law and academia in general that extend beyond the professors to whom I'm physically near and beyond those who can see the curiosity in me is tangible enough to reach down and share with me. And so ends the letter. Um, what do you have to say? Well, it's a wonderful note. It's a wonderful note. And I want to tell Josh that, or Joshua, that, uh, you know, whether I'm on the left or not, of course, depends on which corner of the room you're standing in. Um, because from one corner, I would appear to you as if I were on your left. And from the other corner, I would appear to you as if you, I were on your right. We, in world headquarters, we sit diametrically opposed. That is true. And we are at a slight angle to one another. Like we're, on a, we're sort of on an oblique line in the room, mm-hmm. uh, one to the other. Um, and there are two empty corners in which a person could stand. Um, and again, from those vantage points. Um, uh, now, I think... 
if we were to put ourselves on the highly conventional political uh, uh, sort of continuum of left to right, um, which is, by the way, a continuum that's like we need at least two dimensions to begin to make sense out of stuff. I think one dimension <laughs> is just not particularly uh, helpful or useful. But you got to have a two by two box, to... Sancho. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you got to have a two by two space and maybe even a maybe even a three space instead of a two space. But mm. the, uh, my point is that if you were to put us on that line, I guess I think you would frequently wind up somewhere to the to a, a, a little to the left of me, probably not by much. But um, a little bit. Yeah, probably so. Um, cer- certainly on the issue of, uh, of dockless scooters. Yes, yes. And uh, I think we've made that clear. <laughs> I'm probably a little more lefty than you are, but on, maybe not on all things, though. I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. But I have to say, when we've recorded our live episodes and we are sitting at some kind of table... I think you've always sat on the to my right, which, of course, from the audience perspective, would be left. That, quite true. Yeah. So now I, that has something yeah. to do with my hearing. Uh, so I, uh, listeners, am deaf in my right ear, stone cold deaf. Uh, it's not uh, really hooked up to my brain, and so I. For, it's important for me when I'm trying to hear what's going on to be to the right of the thing that's going on. Uh, or put it differently, the thing that's going on is to my left, uh, because it just the, my right ear just doesn't work. All right, well, I got nothing to say about that. You ready for the next one? Sure, sure. Okay, listener Avram. Listener Avram writes, uh, "Dear Joe and Christian, I'm in the middle of your most recent episode and wanted to respond to your joking conversation about etymology and philology. You remember this conversation, mm. Joe? I do." Um, I don't remember which episode this one is. It's it's one of the, you know, it's not too far back because we've been on a slower pace. So I'm not sure how far back this is, but not too far. Do you remember? Is that in the show notes? I don't remember. Anyway, philology is a much broader field, but insofar as the study of texts, uh, their production, transmission, and meaning is concerned with determining the meaning of words, etymology is an important tool of philologists. Mm. Right? Two other things come to yeah. mind. One is this silly song, probably done by an evangelical Bible scholar, which, like the original, is quite catchy. And he's got a YouTube link in here. Um, and I may not do show notes this time, Joe, because I'm just going to ship this oh, okay. thing out. I mean, it's, uh, this is my, you know, our, our fifth anniversary present to myself is going to be just shipping this thing out without, without uh, show notes. Right, right, um, right, right. But what you want to Google for here, listeners, is I am the very model of a biblical philologist. And it's on YouTube. Mm. And it is... Let's see. I think I had this open over here before we um, – I am not a show tunes person, but this is from the Pirates of Penzance. It's a, it's a parody of I am the very model of a modern major general. Yes. You're familiar with this. I, I figured you would be. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is quite hilarious, and I commend it. So, so just search for I'm the very model of a biblical philologist. It looks to be uploaded by a Josh Tyra. In 2014. So second is a moment from the Israeli movie Footnote, which was nominated for the foreign film Oscar a few years ago. I have not seen this. I, I need to see. Have you seen it, Joe? Uh, I haven't. But like you, I feel like it's something I need to add to my to see list. The film's about a father and son, both professors in the Talmud department of the, at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. There's a significant conflict between them because the father is a very old school philologist concerned exclusively with the production, transmission, and literal meaning of texts. The son is aligned with a newer wave of cultural and historical studies and is much more successful in the relevance, uh, 
in the um, uh, sorry, I just I had to check something in the uh, relevant scene. The son is giving a speech describing how in his own youth, his father had described his profession as teacher. We are all teachers, as he continues, but his father rises from his chair to exclaim, I am not a teacher, I'm a philologist. And he has a, (laughs) there's a YouTube link to this, so you can kind of search for that. Uh, The film is in significant respects a send-up of how ridiculous Israeli academia is, but aside from a very few in-jokes, it's not specifically about the Talmud department. In fact, when I saw it in theaters, an older professor at the Jewish theological seminary was coming out of the previous showing. He'd studied at the Talmud department at Hebrew University around 1960. This is the first movie I've seen in years, he said. I thought I was going to get some uh, chidishism, chidishim, I think it's chidishim, which means novel interpretation of Talmud. That could have been about the history department. That's all. Okay. Joe, you there? Yeah. um, A delightful delightful recommendations for us. I do think it's extremely endearing. Uh, that you pronounce uh, Talmud, Talmud, like there's good mood, bad mood, and Talmud, um, uh, when in fact it's Talmud. Um, what's the little symbol with the two O's with the frowny face above it? Uh, I, I don't know what is that, that symbol U? is, but I'm... I think it's Talmud. But, but, the, but Talmud, <laughs> the, the, you're, you're pronouncing it Talmud, which is, of course, the second pronunciation. Okay, I, I until today I had never heard anyone pronounce it as Talmud, um, but hey, uh, the world is a is a wild and wacky and wonderful place. All right, uh, gonna how to pronounce? Let's see. Here we go. Let me see. I have only seen it spelled T A L M U D and heard it pronounced Talmud. Unfortunately, I can't uh, I can't route this audio on the fly to our conversation so listeners will know maybe i'm i could be wrong i've this is not a word i say all the time so um i I love it that you're correcting my pronunciation that's an interesting fifth year um anniversary event yeah and i wouldn't say correct i was just sharing in fact i you'll if you if you rewind this and play it back to yourself as i hope you'll do um you will you will hear that i I didn't correct you at all i i noted it with great affection okay Listener Priscilla, I'm not sure if I qualify as a quote-unquote seeker. My colleagues jokingly call me a lifelong learner. But I thought I'd drop Mm. you a message to let you know why this associate professor professor of English listens to oral argument. Awesome, right, Joe? Like this this kind of thing makes my day. Uh, I get to hear goofy intellectual conversations like the ones that my colleagues and I would have if we had extra time at our infrequent jam-packed department meetings or if we were able to do more than wave high in the halls on the way to classes. This, this sounds mm. familiar, doesn't it? It's like, you know, there's never it, enough time yeah. to have those conversations that you want to have. This is true of us as well. Um, at, so in our true. Department. Um, I learn about legal concepts and areas of law that I've heard about in other contexts. When it gets too technical or weedy for me, I turn it off. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't think we – do we get too technical or weedy, Joe? Uh, I don't feel that we do. I don't know. Maybe we do. We got to – um, we Stay need... aboard for the whole thing. Yes. Don't give up on us. We won't give up on you. Stay aboard. Especially, yeah, as an Argonaut, you have to, right? It's like astronauts don't jump out of the rocket in the middle of the flight, right? Well, well not the ones who live to tell the tale. <laughs> unless they're doing a spacewalk. But then they get back inside. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I learned about interpretive practices that are different from the ones I write about. And, and here she has a, a link 
um, to a JSTOR article. Unfortunately, I'm not going to do show notes, but it's um, she writes at the intersection of biblical literalism and hermeneutics um, and, uh, and has some writing about ethical development in college writing classes, which sounds like super interesting work, right? Like how to um, – you know, think about think about uh, teaching college kids to write and how that in, uh, in, um, how that interacts with ethical development seems to be a really interesting and timely topic. What do you think? Yeah, and we're really pulling uh, in a lot of the hermeneuticists out there. I enjoy having voices in my ear when I'm washing dishes or sewing, and I like hearing what you do with your righteous anger, whatever it's about. I can always use more good exemplars, and that is. Mm. Um, and, and today, it turns out that it was about these um, busybodies that have banned scooters. Well, yes, well, that is one way to describe it. Um, and then our anger at each other, which I thought was rather tame, <laughs> on, rather tame on this topic today. What was tame? Our, our disagreement about scooters. Yeah, well, that was about the fourth or fifth time we've had that argument. <laughs> so I think we're getting good at it. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't... Uh, yeah. Uh, listener Chris here, big fan of the show. Keep it up. One comment. I think it's a sin that you haven't had Professor Paul Horwitz on to talk clerkship culture or anything else. He'd be a great guest. Okay. Yeah. And um, we should have that topic. And, and Paul is terrific. I follow him on Twitter. He's uh, given a talk at the law school before. He'd be great to have on eventually. Be awesome. We'd love that. Uh, and, uh, you know, as for sin, uh, you know, can anyone be surprised? Um, listen, I, I really have got to go cause I'm way over time. Oh, oh, it's three forty two. in You've terms got... of the social event. That's yeah, happening yeah, yeah, here. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I've got one more for you, Joe. Do you have, do you have 60 seconds? Yeah. All right. So we got listener Nathan. I left this out. Uh, the first thing, and I don't have time for it, but he mentions, uh, Andrew Stump of Michigan law who wrote an interesting paper on, um, on the fractal nature of law and the similarities between geometric fractals and legal application. We, maybe we can come back to that. Um, I think we mentioned I think that I've seen that paper. Yeah, I know. I know we've seen it before. I feel like we've talked about it on the show a long time ago. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we just, um, it's just something that I, you know, I have lots of articles, which I kind of save to read and either I, I do read them or I don't get to them and there's no rhyme or reason, but it is what it is. Um, but here's the, here's the thing I wanted to mention for right now, since you only have 60 seconds. Uh, second, I love your show, but I cringe every time. Are you ready for this? I yeah. cringe every time one of you uses the word sanction. Sanction is an auto antonym. And he has mm. a link here, a word that means the opposite of when itself. That happens. Yeah, when you say something like the government sanctions this type of behavior, I have to stop and think about the context to understand whether you mean the government punishes this behavior or the government permits this behavior. It's not a huge deal, but for some reason it's like nails on a chalkboard. I appreciate that it may I may be too pedantic <laughs> for this show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, something to think yes. about nonetheless. Other than that, your show is absolutely phenomenal. I truly hope you continue making podcasts until the next, uh, until next time, uh, Argonauts. Thank you. But he, he has a pronunciation guide for Argonauts, which implies that he agrees with you, Joe, that it's Argonauts. Mm. So, yeah, as, as for being, um, too pedantic, you know, my, uh, I can respond in one and only one way, which is hold my beer. <laughs> uh, so what do you think? Are you going to what stop using the what? word sanction? I mean, what do you think about this? This uh, no I, I, auto antonym. I, I wasn't trying to use it before. I wasn't trying to use it before. I, I suppose I'll try to avoid using it for the next few minutes. But 
<laughs> I make no promises after that. I, I'm trying to think on the fly of a, of a witty auto antonym that would be responsive here, and I'm coming up blank, which probably means we yeah. should we should end this and um, you know uh, and send out good wishes for the next five years. It's been a pleasure, Joe. Yes, yes. Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year and Happy Holidays and uh, uh, best wishes for our next five years, which. Uh, you know, assuming that there has been no um, uh, catastrophic nuclear exchange, um, I think we will do our best. That, that's all we can promise. Yeah. And, and maybe our best will be good enough, Joe. Maybe. Maybe. It, maybe it won't, but we'll try. Okay. So you also have to tell me how to send this file to you. Okay. Well, that's, we a, want... great, that's a great way to end the show. Okay. 